Hi, I'm Victor Milligan, your host for Forrester's podcast, What It Means, where we explore the major changes in the market influencing executive priorities. And joining me again is Forrester's head of research, Carrie Johnson. Welcome back. Thank you. You can't get rid of me. Nope. A good thing. And joining us in the studio today is Emily Collins and Maxie Schmidt, both principal analysts at Forrester, to discuss the reality of loyalty in today's market. Welcome, both of you. Thanks. Hi there. So I want to start with a question that we were asking ourselves before we, we started taping, which is, is loyalty really a thing? Is it a thing invented by marketing? Is it really a thing that should be invested in and measured and all the good stuff? I mean, if you look at sports teams, I think loyalty is a thing. Is the loyalty that companies are trying to instill a thing? Maybe it's not. Like, so there is something. Humans want to be loyal to something. want to root for something. That's definitely there. I think companies are imposing this need to create loyalty, to create relationships on customers that might not actually want it with that company because they have a transactional relationship with the company. Yeah, I like to say that customers don't need to be loyal to a brand, but brands need customers to be loyal to them. So it is a little bit backwards. It's kind of imposed on consumers. Like, we want to earn your loyalty. It's sort of desperate in a way. <laughs> well, there's, <laughs> there's loyalty like the sports analogy, which is about emotion, and there's loyalty, spend more. There's a big difference. Mm -hmm. So when you think of loyalty, and I'm going to separate it up from sort of tribal behavior as to brand, some people get very affiliated to a brand. I wear Adidas. I'm an Adidas person, so I tend to want to see Adidas on me. I wear the logo. I'm proud of the logo. You're saying that's different than loyalty, or is that a form of loyalty? So if you think about loyalty as both emotional connectivity and transactional connectivity. I would say that the example that you just used is a higher emotional loyalty. And maybe there's high transactional loyalty where they also are purchasing a lot of Adidas. But there are also relationships that are low emotion, high transaction that are much more relationships of convenience that you could still argue are loyal. There's still a connection and there's a reason that the customer continues to choose that brand first. And, and so it's like, what is the security of the relationship? In some cases, it's a very emotional, emotionally secure. In other cases, it's very transactionally secure. And so the security is, I think, what brands are really looking for is like, we want to know that these customers will come back and that they'll continue to choose us first. Yeah, exactly. Like the top, the top reason people choose a pharmacy is the location, convenient location. Mm-hmm. But that also gives a pharmacy a chance over time to build loyalty as you have interactions with the person who does your medication, for example. So then suddenly you add the emotional loyalty and then the switching costs suddenly become high, even if a pharmacy opens closer to you. But if you don't build that emotional loyalty on top, you're always subject to being disrupted by somebody being more convenient than you are. It's arguable that in the, in the digital age that local community building type things is less now because the digital footprint is much more of a prolific part of the way someone thinks of a brand. So the idea that I, I went to a bank or a retailer or a pharmacy was very much sort of baked into, this is the town I lived in, and this is who was there, and John was there, or Betty was there. But that's less of the ingredient now. Maybe it's not a local community anymore. Maybe it's now a, a values community. Like, so um, I talked to a colleague earlier. She said she goes to a yoga studio because they are about sustainability, about including the community. And so those are her people. She travels like through through Boston to get there, but there is a, a, a community spirit that now replaces that local community, the proximity community. And and Maxie, you and I talked about this earlier this week that the emotional connection isn't necessarily I love this brand or 
I want to be romantic with this brand. It's like a the emotional, there's so many, there's a wide range of emotions. And I think emotion is on the minds of lots of brands because all of the research that shows that humans use emotion as a shortcut under decision stress. I feel like this is leading to a bit of a overusage of emotion, to be totally honest, and perhaps even a, a misusage of it. And um, I happened to be in Singapore earlier in the year. This is a place where banks and financial institutions advertise as though they're part of your family. And I've noticed it now in the States too. Every brand is now going at emotion in a way that doesn't always feel completely authentic. Curious how you think about that element when you're talking to brands about what's the best way to go with this versus the kind of brute force that we're seeing a little bit today in advertising. For a while, everyone was trying to be a lifestyle brand, and now right. everyone's trying to build that emotional connection and tug at your heartstrings. There's a lot of heartstring tugging happening on TV in particular, and it feels, I'd imagine that many consumers are starting to see past it. Like that is a short life if everyone is doing it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can't differentiate yourself anymore if right. everybody is your best friend and buddy. Yeah, agreed. So what is the rational expectation that you would set with a brand as to what's attainable? I mean, if, if, if everyone's right that... Loyalty is much more of what a company wants than a human wants. It might be what a human gets or they might strive for it because of social reasons or tribal reasons or whatever reasons. What is a rational expectation? Because we're seeing the scores objectively for loyalty well lag how people perceive the transactional strength of a company. So what, what's, what's really possible here? So, I mean, this may sound trite, but I, I think a lot of companies see what other brands are doing in terms of emotion. They kind of are latching on to like the hot new thing versus turning to their actual customers to say, what is the connectivity? What's the connection point that we have with our current best customers? Like why, what motivates them? What brings them back to us? And so what makes, what's our unique value proposition? Because if you're capitalizing on the same emotion that every other brand is trying to capitalize on, you might as well just be competing on discounts. Yes, that was exactly where I would have gone with this. If I get, uh, if I got $10 for every brand who told me that their CX promise is around ease. I'd probably only be sitting here because I can, not because I, I, I have a job. Emily is making the point that um, brands need to differentiate also on the kinds of emotions that they want to create in, in customers. And I think, Carrie, when you said earlier, the overuse of emotion is also, I think, a misunderstanding. There is this there's an emotional connection to a brand. And that means that whenever you ha are in a situation where you need to make a choice, you instantly say, oh, I want to watch TV, ah, Netflix, I'm going to turn on Netflix. Or you're going to say, I'm going to turn on Amazon Prime. That's not something that you actually do. This is just a behavior. It's a habit. And that's what you want. This, this, that, 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 the, the brand is lodged in the brain or rather in the heart. But that doesn't mean that you need to use the same emotions to get there. What you need to do is you need to create a value for the customer. And that's exactly what Emily said earlier. Many, many companies are trying to follow these broad principles of what customers might want. But every customer has different things that they find are benefits or sacrifices of interacting with a firm. And they might even differ by, by situation the customer's in. So if I have um, a travel agency and I, I want to go on a business trip, I value the convenience of booking quickly and getting a good deal. But I might not worry as much about the cheapest price, right? So if I book a business trip, I might book what is convenient. If I book uh, a trip on my honeymoon, there's very different benefits so, and the idea of understanding your customers and the kind of value profile you need for them to earn that loyalty, that's something that 
that's work that companies aren't doing. They're just taking some formula that they see somewhere else. But the formula may have some some reason behind it, which is time right now is the most scarce of commodities for most people. So if I go back to what you said earlier, Emily, people are making decisions almost in a form of time duress. So emotion may be a trigger that outpaces other triggers. The problem, Victor, is that there's two, there's two elements to that, right? Um, the first is we're going to try to get this emotion of ease and simplicity across. And the second is, hey, we need to bank on emotions because they are a shortcut to making decisions. And we want our customers to make quick decisions for us without even thinking about it. And, and that's those the second are part. Yeah. Two different parts, right? Yep. And, and, and I think companies have always tried to do that. They have tried to build actual relationships with customers. So the customers, when they had to make a decision, had this, this, this good feeling in their gut. Maybe they might have called a gut feeling to, oh, you know, I know that company X, that's who I always go to. That's my pharmacy. They've, they've served me well. That's, that's right. And I think that's always been the recipe of companies. But now the problem is that companies feel under a lot more competitive pressure and everybody is trying to somehow instill some emotions to the point that, as Carrie said, it becomes uh, inauthentic and turns people off. Well, I guess it also goes to how the market is governed. Because if I'm a company and I have $10 to spend, I could spend it on advertising, to your point, Carrie. I could spend it on discounts, rebates as part of the loyalty program. I could spend it on true customer care and, and experiences above and beyond the price of whatever I'm buying. I mean, I'm making choices of $10. Do we have a sense of how we should think of that $10? Like what, what is proving to be a good spend and what is proving to be sort of lemmings dropping, dropping off a cliff? But th that's the value profile I mentioned earlier, right? Depending on what kind of company you are. So for example, Spirit Airlines, for them putting those $10 into discounts and lower prices is the right move. A company like um, um, USAA, I hate to drag them out all the time, but for them spending that on better knowing their customers is the right move. So it's all about what is the fit between the value that your customers expect and want and, and how you deliver that. And that's how you spend your dollar, your $10. So Emily, you said earlier that, that people don't know their customers as well as they should. They should figure out what do they value in terms of the relationship, their sense of loyalty. So is it is it the point that companies don't know their customers well enough, so when they spend the $10, they're spending it based upon what an agency said, what a consultant said, or what the habit told them to do, not based upon some intimate dialogue they're having with their customer base as to what the customers truly value. That's that's part of the mismatch that we see in the loyalty world. Right, and, and when you look at how marketers are, marketers potentially are spending their dollars, it's very programmatic. So there's an email program, there's a loyalty program, there's a social marketing program, there's a mobile program, SMS or something like that. It's very channel driven and programmatic. So you know it, it, the hypothetical or the the larger, broader discussion of like what makes our customers feel valued, then you have the ten dollars. You might you're saying these are my ten dollars for loyalty, so I need to protect that ten dollars. And then I'm also spending probably $10 in email and nary the two shall meet. Yep. When you look at all the data that marketers, even loyalty marketers alone are collecting and what they're actually using is very small. Everybody wants a 360 degree view of the customer. In the reality, they've got like 36, 10 degree views. So in, in work that we did related to the CX index, we looked at how customers value sort of core transactional experiences they get from the companies, whether that's flight services, banking services, things that the company is set up to do. And we compared that to a simple measure of do the 
consumers feel like the company rewards their loyalty. And what we found across all industries was a very significant gap, 20 points, I mean, extraordinarily statistically significant. And one would look at that at face value by saying customers value the nature of the company, the transactional excellence of the company well beyond their human connection with the company. Is that surprising? Is that a problem? Is that the natural state of affairs? How should we interpret that? Because that, again, that that's across almost all industries measured. So this sort of comes back to what Maxie was talking about in terms of value, benefits, and sacrifices. There is inherent value to the customer in the services that they're offering. That doesn't necessarily mean that they perceive that they're being rewarded for their loyalty. So I, I think that the perception of that I'm being rewarded for my loyalty, whether it's implicit or explicit, is is an indictment on companies' ability to show customers the value in the right places. And so think about it in terms of you've got the customer experience and then you've got the promotions that you're giving, and those might be distributed and diluted across many different channels. So in theory or in reality, the company is giving all of this value to the customer, but with the way that they deliver it is in such a way that customers don't think it's deliberately rewarding them. Yeah, so the monetary value might be there to the customer, but it's not packaged and presented in such a way that that's is sort of connected to patronage, if you will. Right. And and one of the things that I have read in some of the CX research is around customers of airlines like Southwest and JetBlue perceive that they are more on time than they actually are. So they feel like JetBlue and Southwest are more on time. They're, they don't have as many delays. That's not true. But because the experience is better and they feel that they're getting a better experience, maybe, they, they view that as, oh, they're just better at being an airline. Are you assuming there that their loyalty programs are almost insignificant because the experience is so much more important? I mean, you gave examples of companies that are pretty well known for amazing experiences. I have to imagine there's a lot of companies that could ditch all the spending on a loyalty program and invested in the customer experience and have much better results. Yeah, so, but for companies like JetBlue and Southwest, they benefit from the program because it is it is sort of the icing on the cake and in the airline industry, it's basically a table stakes customer expectation. Yes, and it's a self-selection of your more profitable customer, right? So it's easier to reach them, it's easier to collect data about them, which is often what the loyalty right. program is used for, mm -hmm. like data collection purposes. I have talked to a couple of companies recently, including one in the restaurant industry that said, our goal is to be hospitable to our customers. Right now, our loyalty program is the best way that we can do that. That is not to say that in the, to, to identify them, to, be per, to provide them with personalized offers, to show them appreciation, recognition, and perks. That is not to say that the program will always be the most effective way to do that because essentially the reason the program exists is so that they can identify customers wherever they are in the restaurant. If there were new technology where the customer would be, it would be more of a seamless identification, the program has less a reason for being. But today that is the primary way that they can identify customers and deliver value to them. This is where I struggle because the idea of connecting to the customer orienting your business to the customer. That's, we're long past that being novel. But you're talking as if it's, it's novel operationally, that people are still using the tools of the past, attempting to solve the problems of today. 
with not being surprised that it's not working as well as people would like. I mean, that 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 can't be a surprising outcome. But I mean, two two examples of that, right? Emily earlier talked about uh, what marketers do, like the email program, the loyalty program, and so on. But that's so ironic when you look at the definition of marketing, which is about understanding what value to customer, stakeholders, and shareholders is, and then helping deliver that. That's what marketing is supposed to be about. It's not about pushing things to a client, right? And good marketers don't push things to clients. They try to understand value, so they spend their money actually in, in understanding clients. I think most marketing shops strive for scale. What can I do the least of that I can amplify most? They drive towards their metrics, and their metrics are all about the, the funnel, right? Right. Underpinning all of this is that, because we're, we're talking a little bit about loyalty and loyalty programs, is loyalty programs still are not tied to that basic ingredient of delivering some form of individualized experience or value to a human being differently than another human being. That's still the, the significant exception, even though it is the intent. And that's even a, that's sort of a pipe dream in some ways. I mean, that, that's so, so specific, like at the individual level, humans aren't that special. Like we're not, wow. we're not that unique and we don't all need individual things. And so to me, it is, how can you drive the perception of what you just said? I buy that. The program, most programs are a bolt on. They're a, a thing that someone signs up for that's maybe has its own um, landing page. It's something that is a, a function of the purchase environment, at least across the board to, for the most part. I, I wrote a blog post about Amazon Prime because my vision for loyalty programs is that they are the best of what the brand has to offer. You have the most information about the customers who are, it raised their hand and identify themselves. You have a, they've opted into your communications and all of your interactions. They're, they've Hook, line, and sinker. Yeah, maybe it's for discounts, but they're the most engaged customers that you might have, or at least your most engaged customers tend to opt into a loyalty program. Amazon Prime, if you want the best of Amazon, you sign up for Amazon Prime. You get access to all of the content, all the media, all of the products that they have to offer, the fast free shipping, so on and so forth. But they have reserved the best of Amazon for their Prime members. But that idea that Loyalty, if it is an economic engine, which is often an argument about loyalty, that's an and economic Amazon's engine. And Amazon's metrics play that out. Play that, right. One would not have loyalty programs be a bolt-on. That would not, I mean, I know that that would be the habit. That's the budgeting outcome. But if you were had a blank sheet of paper and you said loyalty produces a, a better economic value, you would place it organically in your business. So in what's... I mean, we started this discussion by saying, is loyalty a thing? We sort of fell to places. It can be a thing. It depends what the thing is, and it might be specific to different companies, as you say, Maxie. But it can't be something done on the side. It has to be part of the engine of the business. If not, it's going to reduce itself down to a set of emails and other things that are in, in context of the channels. Yeah, and that, that is, by the way, the same thing that's happening for customer experience. It's a bolt on in many companies because the company itself is run in a way that doesn't fundamentally understand what customers they serve and what those customers value and doesn't understand where in the value network they're creating or destroying value. That's why we're bombarding customers with surveys about things that we already know are wrong and that companies don't have any real uh, uh, shot at fixing because um, the billing is just the way it is. The pricing is just the way it is. 
it's 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 that that's what I've tried to get to at the keynote speech. Right, you need to think how. What's the, what's the business model and how does the value of a customer get Im, Im, embedded in customer experience, get embedded in the business model in your strategy? And if you don't have that, it will always be some kind of bolt-on program as well loyalty. I think we're looking at, like, if I look at banking, we're looking at a sector that at one point in time baked into its business model that once I have a checking or savings account, I'm going to be almost a customer for life. I'll, I'll engage with them through my life stages. They're advantaged in whatever selection I have. And that's proving to be less true as we go forward. So you're creating, from an enrichment standpoint, free agents out of consumers. On the retail, whether that was because of local convenience or brand affiliation, whatever it might be, the goal was to not have them be free agents, to have them somehow choose you over others for rational or irrational reasons. We're in a market now where the ineffectiveness, as you're describing these programs, is that companies are inadvertently creating free agents out there. And consumers are willing to be free agents because of goals of experimentation, better value, whatever it might be. I mean, we're creating a free agent market out there. That's what it kind of feels like. I think some customers have always wanted to be like that. So if you think about back to the loyalty research from 20 years ago, there used to be this 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 chain where right? satisfaction goes to the emotional loyalty, goes to behavioral loyalty, and there are certain interrupts in that pattern. You might be satisfied with a solution, but not with all aspects. You're not actually emotionally loyal. Or you might be emotionally loyal, but you have no chance to buy. Or you 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 buy again because you're not emotionally loyal. So there's always this has always been the case. There are variety seekers. It's always been the case among customers. I think the problem right now is that companies aren't they aren't trying to earn loyalty anymore. They're doing the shortcut stuff. Right? They're trying they're, to get to the next transaction. Yeah, they're doing the loyalty program as a shortcut. They're incentivizing employees to deliver better customer experiences as a shortcut. And uh, instead of doing the real work, that means thinking about the, as I said earlier, the business model, the value proposition, and how you can deliver value to customers. And and I don't know, so companies need customers to stay in business, but when you talk about the business model, that it's really interesting to me because Loyalty implies a long-term relationship, but they're reporting to investors every quarter. It, it can be hard to take that long-term view. So to Maxie's point about internalizing that as part of the business model, a lot of companies are using loyalty programs to drive short-term behavior, right, with coupons and things like that. So the it, it sort of is counterintuitive to the business environment that we're in and that companies only really care about customers because technically they need them. Where does this go? And I'm not actually <laughs> sure where, where if I'm on the side of um, good or bad for these companies that have built up loyalty programs, when you're in an age of, if you, if you buy the, the vision that digital assistance and personal digital assistance will essentially be your gateway to other brand, to brands, there'll be lock-in, right? Because you're not going to go discover new brands necessarily through a digital assistant making decisions for you. It's going to be the ones you have existing relationships. So maybe the joke is on us. I mean, maybe the companies that have invested in these loyalty programs will see rewards when there's, uh, it's when it's not as easy to choose. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When you, yeah. when, when you take the choice away from customer, I mean, not taking it away, but don't expose them to the choice unless of course they but get that, hacked. But that assumes they're playing chess. There might be, an outcome of this thing. I was, well, I'm thinking it's an unintended consequence and that they'll get sort of hit by a pitch on that front. Like they were doing some loyalty program behavior that wasn't amazing, but it did create some level of lock-in, whether it be about discounts or 
whatever it may have been. And it may have just improved. It may not have earned the loyalty of every customer that was a part of the program, but it may have also just improved the customers that were within the program. So I don't, I don't know that every company can expect to have 100% loyalty from all of their customers. I would say they can't. However, the mechanisms of these types of marketing programs can nurture even just a retained relationship with the customer that gets them to have an incremental behavior or to, to defect less um, to the competitor. It, they may also, I've talked to many retailer, like department retail stores, where 70 to 90% of their customers are shopping in one category. Like the cross-sell opportunity of expanding the relationship and retaining more of that relationship is also part of these. Mm-hmm. You know, the thing is that that we need to keep in mind is that just repeated exposure creates stickiness. We notice from behavioral economics, if you put a list of names in front of people and say, hey, we memorize these names, and then the next day you show them a list of names and they sh- are supposed to pick out celebrities, and you put some of the names from the first day on that second list, they'll pick some of those other celebrities because they have seen them before. So this is kind of, I, I have interacted with this brand before. I, I always go to this and this pharmacy to buy my stuff. And there needs to be a really good reason for me to not buy there again, right? So this this the stickiness is definitely, it's a thing. But um, as a brand, if you rely on that stickiness, then over time you might create experiences that become so off-putting that people then will look out for a choice. Like this is to your point, Carrie, earlier, what, what if they don't really choose? But if the experiences are so bad that, that you, you can't bear it anymore, you will go out and you will choose, no matter whether you have a digital or virtual assistant that, that helps you. There are limits to the incumbent advantage. Yeah. What you said, though, I think is maybe one of the reasons that we're seeing some stagnation in CX index scores is that it's not bad enough for people to defect necessarily. In some categories it is, and you see disruption. And in some, the experience is, is good enough. Well, yeah, to some level, but if you look at the auto insurance market, for example, if you look just just spend time in front of the TV, it's all about come over here from there. It's all about forcing switching within the within the marketplace. It's creating this washing machine effect of customers. So they're assuming that people are free agents. They just want them to come to their team for that period of time. So they're assuming that fluidity. I'm not sure what churn rate that they assume, but they're assuming that fluidity. That's sort of a dangerous economic model. I mean, you're sort of playing to the lowest common denominator. Yeah, and th- that's also what but you see some industries like that. So in, in Europe, at least, telco companies are like that. So you used buying, to... By, buying the customers one or the other. Yeah, you, you quit your mobile phone contract after two years to then get a better offer. Or cable companies in the US are like that. You, you have, have whole swaths of customers on the promo price. And when you try to take it away from them, they call you and you have to put them back on the promo price. But that's a really, really uh, dangerous thing there because it created, it, it, it turned a relationship that was more um, social norms based. I always go to this grocer around the corner or I always go to the pharmacy because and this guy knows me really well to a relationship that's completely transactional in the purest sense of the word. It's just an exchange of, of money and I, I don't have any any emotional loyalty to the company, but that is very easily imitable. But sort of, sort of cutting to the chase, Loyalty, not the program, but as an outcome, which I'm emotionally predisposed to transact with Carrie versus you, Maxi, for whatever reasons that existed in the past. That is an economic engine. That engine is sputtering. Is it sputtering because it's not attainable and we're just in a new normal? Or is it sputtering because the investments being made to engender that outcome just are ineffective or 
to your earlier point, Emily, spread like peanut butter. So there's really no coherent method here. There are methods which the consumer just cannot get their head around. Or D, all of the above. Yeah, you know what, Emily, I think this goes back to the point that you made like uh, that I, 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 I described it as the, the marriage phenomenon. And you, you talked about the fact that not every customer can be every facet of loyalty to you. So in, in marriages, your spouse uh, cannot not satisfy all your needs, right? They cannot be your buddy and, 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 and the one that you cuddle with and, and the one that uh, you go to the bar, sports bar, and the one that you exercise with. It's very hard. And the same thing for customers, Emily, right? Mm -hmm. In the yeah. off chance my wife is listening, she is everything to me. <laughs> Right. There's there's so many expectations that a brand will have for their loyal customers. Like they want you to be emotionally loyal. They want you to buy all of your products from them to buy or to buy across their entire portfolio and to stay with you forever and then also recommend new customers to you. I'm at the basic thing, which is if I have a level of emotional affinity, there is an economic value for that outcome. And it seems like companies are struggling to figure out how best to invest to get that outcome, whether that's a small outcome, which is just that transaction is managed, or that larger outcome, which you described, which is I'm truly almost a hyper advocate of the company. It just seems like... But the metrics are... are. This is also interesting because there's there could be a ripple effect with loyal customers where you might have a customer and, and we there's that emotional and transactional side. There are some customers who might be super transactionally loyal, like they're just going to keep buying the same thing from you. And... and so maybe it's more that co companies need to understand the limits of loyalty for their different customer segments. So they might have customers who are completely emotionally loyal, but they're never going to also be the highest value customer. However, they might help other customers discover the brand and be a great advocate and, and a channel for new customers. So I wonder if there's like a portfolio of loyalty that you have to build and the strategy has to ladder up. So there are going to be some tactics that you use that are very much focused on retaining the transactional relationship, filling your pipeline, filling that ROI model. And then you have parallel efforts that maybe contribute to the transactional stickiness, but also start to peel back the emotional layers and build that emotional resonance or connectivity, whether it's a, I want to be like, I want to be associated with this brand because they have the same values as me, or today this meets my convenience needs or um, the, the ease of transaction is such, or I trust them to take good care of me and my financial statements and things like that. Important that your statement is the word you you being the entire company in some orchestrated manner, not you each channel making decisions unto themselves. Correct. And this is the, the traditional or the classic error of going straight for the tactic versus having a strategy. So this podcast sort of, it started with the premise that loyalty can be an economic engine. The expectations might be too high. The tactics may be not effective, but it is still nonetheless a goal. It is something that is worth pursuing from the company's perspective. So where do we think we are in terms of the state of loyalty? Right. So the value of a loyalty program is whatever the consumer perceives that value to be. And today there's a big gap between the perception that companies have of what value their program delivers and the perception of what consumers have in terms of the value it delivers. And so to me, my big recommendation and what companies need to do is to start to better understand the gap between the real value and the perceived value. 
the, 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 I think the real thing that there's there's two big ideas here, right? There's the idea that companies optimize for features and characteristics instead of optimizing for a value that a customer finds in the offering. That's the benefits, benefits minus the sacrifices. And the second big idea is that companies expect way too much from a single customer without putting in the work that it would take to get that. I mean, you can have all of those things in your spouse if you if you put the time in, but you can't if you don't, right? And that's, that's I think, this, this, this real idea that cust companies need to build that portfolio that you mentioned. These customers are going to be referral customers. These customers are going to be buying customers. And we will not try to, to, to push the same idea of loyalty out on all customers. Both of you, thank you so much for your time. Thank you both. Carrie, Victor, thank you for having me. Emily, great to be on the podcast with you. You too, Maxi. Thanks so much for having me. If you like what you heard today, please subscribe to Forrester's What It Means podcast on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or TuneIn. And don't forget to leave us a review. To continue the conversation, follow Forrester on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks for listening.